An artist has one shot to make it to the big time. Now we meet a young man who encountered a strange entity while he was dreaming. And if that wasn't bizarre enough, the entity began to follow him night after night, dream after dream. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. we got a ton of stuff to cover. First off, coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now is our newest Patreon supporter, doing all sorts of exercises because that's what his name sounds like. It's Bulk Squat Thrust. Ugh, ugh, he's thrusting his way into Dead Rabbit Command. Bulk, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine, too. Just make sure you're spreading the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. Tell your friends, talk about it online. That's that is how you can also help out the show. Bulk squat thrust. Go ahead, go ahead, stop thrusting in our faces. I'm gonna go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're gonna leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to Eight Mile, Detroit. So I watched Eight Mile. <laughs> it should make sense why we're headed here. I was watching Eight Mile. Remember that movie with Eminem? I watched it last night. That movie does not hold up well. It really doesn't. It, this isn't a movie review podcast, because that'd be a pretty generic review. It doesn't hold up well. Eminem himself is cool, but the movie, is it does not age well. It really doesn't. It's super chaotic. It, it, there's real no narrative structure. Everyone Things just kind of given to Eminem. There's a scene where they're about to get evicted from their home until his mom wins bingo. And you're like, okay, I guess that's the end of that storyline? Like... Everything just kind of happens to him, and everyone tells Eminem, or sorry, B-Rabbit how good he is the whole time. He's like, no, I'm not that good. I'm not. It was such a bizarre movie. But when you look at Eminem, I really like Eminem. When you look at Eminem, you see he was in that trajectory. Remember, he was such a raw talent when he came out. He was in your face. He was making a bunch of homophobic slurs, a bunch of stuff against women, specific women, his mother, his girlfriend. It was really raw. And as a rap fan, that was normal. But for the overall population, they're like, oh my god, this is super shocking. Like, we can't believe this is going on. And that's what made him so popular. I think his skill is what kept him popular. But he had to get in people's faces to be noticed in the first place. That happens to a lot of artists. So sometimes you can start off really edgy. When you look at, like, early stuff like Stephen King, where they're having, like, child orgies in It... You know, he doesn't do that in his later novels. He doesn't do that when he's super established, when he's cranking out novels. In his early work, you're more shocking. And that's just how artistry works. And then you start to kind of temper your emotions. You kind of realize you probably shouldn't go that far in your stories. And Eminem is the same way. I think all artists are the same way. Let's take a look. Let's drive past 8 Mile. We're saying goodbye to Cheddar Bob, one of the worst characters. In, I swear that if you have not seen... It has five stars on Amazon Prime. If you have not seen 8 Mile lately, rewatch it. It's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible movie. It has some great actors. Anthony Mackie, isn't it? Falcon is Papa, Papa Doc. It's crazy. But again, this is not a movie review podcast, but it's so bad. It's embarrassingly bad. But anyways, we're going to keep driving past 8 Mile. This isn't... That's a segue. I was having Bulk Squat Thrust drive us past there just as a segue. Because we're going to meet another artist 
Bulk, keep on driving past 8 Mile. We're headed out to New York City. And a guy just like Eminem, and again, all artists kind of go through this phase. We're going to meet this guy named Tom Otterness. Today, he's one of America's most prolific sculptors. He's taking pieces of he's taking pieces of matter and removing it until like a little a little person appears. If you didn't know what sculpting was, that's what it is. You're like taking notes. You're like, oh, I'm totally gonna pass my art test. Eight mile equals sucks. Sculptor, remove matter until something appears. He's known for this big art exhibit called Life Underground. It's in the New York subway system. Between 14th Street and 8th Avenue subway stations, there's a hundred little bronze cast sculptures. They're kind of some of some of them are kind of hidden. Some of them are in plain sight. There's one apparently of like a little guy climbing a turnstile to kind of like put a coin in. And there's just these little whimsical statues that you see when you're walking through the subway. You're getting mugged. You're like, oh, look at the whimsy over there. Beautiful, right? And he, nowadays he's commanding five hundred, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars for his art. Very, very Tom Modernist is a high demand sculptor. Sometimes he does big public works. He'll get contract. Recently, he had a contract with like the city of San Francisco. And then people will pay him six figures to come and make personal art for them. Well, let's go back to the year 1978. If, if Tom Otterness is listening to this podcast, he's like, oh, no. Really? That's what you're going to talk about in my career? In 1978, Tom Otterness was in his M&M phase. Where he's like, yo... I got one shot. I got one shot to do this. So I got to get the ball rolling. Now, he was kind of an established artist at the time, but you're still trying to make a name for yourself. 1978, he became part of this thing called punk art, which sounds dope, right? Which would encapsulate stuff like Stephen King, stuff like Eminem. Breaking the boundaries of what should be. I mean, when you think of horror novels before Stephen King, it was stuff like Dracula. And then you have Stephen King really shaking up the game. And I, I that's not fair. Richard Matheson. <laughs> Richard Matheson. There was a lot of uh, horror authors in between there. But you have this punk art movement. Tom Otterness in 1978 made a short film called Rats in Chinatown. Where he filmed rats crawling all over a Chinese deli. Now, I know grammatically, it made it sound like there was a building that held the Chinese deli and the rats were climbing on top of it. Uh uh uh. Apparently, it's inside the Chinese. That would be fine, right? I guess that'd still be pretty gross if you're like, hey, let's go, let's go eat at that deli. There's a bunch of rats on the roof and the cook's like, they're not inside. They're only swarming the building itself. But inside, it's totally clean. It would still be disgusting, but it's like rats crawling inside a Chinese deli. Which, actually, now think about it, I, there was such a thing as a Chinese deli. I thought a deli was where you made sandwiches. I guess I'm really, like, hung up on the words. The fact is, there's rats. There's rats where you want to eat. That's the main point. I'm not the film critic, and I'm like, hmm, where is this Chinese deli? I want to know if they serve roast beef. No, the fact is, you're trying to eat, and there's rats everywhere. Tom also used to be an amateur boxer, so he made a short film of a bunch of his fights... And he was showing that as an art exhibit. That's not really an art exhibit. That's just Sports Center, right? But he'd have this art exhibit. And he's like, hey, look at me. You think you can take me? He's, he's all beating up the people who are coming in. Ah, oh, this is the worst art show ever. They'd be wrong. My made-up art show is not the worst art show ever. 
Because Tom Otterness, back in 1978, had another short film for an art exhibit that he made. Now remember, he, he was establishing his name as an artist back then. Since then, Life Underground, this massive artwork project for the city of New York, He's gotten six-figure salaries for his art. He's gotten city contracts since 1978. In 1978, Tom came up with an idea for this punk art movement. He was going to make a movie. I guess he was living in Colorado at the time or visiting Colorado at the time. I, I couldn't really nail that down. But in Colorado, <laughs> feel free to skip ahead five minutes if you're a sensitive person or someone who's very prone to anger. In 1978, Tom went, was in Colorado. He went to a dog shelter. He got a dog. He adopted a dog. Brought it home. Leashed it to a, a, a pole, like a fence pole. And then filmed himself shooting it until it died. He then took that movie of him killing a dog. It's called Shot Dog Film. And his art exhibit was showing him shooting a dog that he just adopted from a shelter. And nobody knew what it, people were coming into this art exhibit. They walked into this room. They saw a dog getting shot to death. And they're like, oh, dude, this is horrible. And as they were leaving, he had a photographer with this big... <laughs> I mean, if that's not trolley enough, right? That's inhumane. As people were leaving... The art exhibit, he, he hired a photographer with a big giant flashbulb on his camera to take a picture of them. The shocked look on their faces after they just saw a dog get killed. And then a bright light in your face. And then that was the art. He was ambushing the audience. He saw this as like a revolutionary act. Like he's assaulting the audience. People were absolutely shocked by this. People were outraged, actually. But because it was this underground art movement, this punk art movement, it wasn't this big thing, right? Like, you you, you expected to get a level of punk, but I, not Gigi Allen wasn't ripping dogs in half, right? Gigi Allen was throwing his poop at people and stuff like that. But he wasn't hurting animals. So this was too much even for the punk community. But you really didn't see much of an outrage in the mainstream until... Like, a year later, a year or two later, there was this Manhattan cable TV. I assume it was, like, access television or something like that. Somebody somehow, and everyone has denied that they had any part in this, but somebody apparently made a documentary about Shot Dog Film. And in the documentary itself shows him shooting the dog over and over again. They keep playing. Someone took this footage, someone took this documentary, and broadcast it on Manhattan cable television. That was still before Life Underground. That was still before his career took off. People knew that he killed this dog. The New York Times was like, yeah, people try to make a big deal about the fact that he... I'm, parap I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but the New York Times was like, yeah, you know, he shot a dog, but let bygones be bygones. That was early in his career. That was kind of the tactic that the media was taking towards Tom Otterness. So even after shooting this dog on camera, that is when his career blew up. That's when he starts to get these big six-figure contracts. More enlightened people, right? More normal human beings tried extraditing him to Colorado to be prosecuted for this crime. The problem is, is back then, I'm sure it's different now, but back then, 
that was a misdemeanor. To shoot a dog is a misdemeanor. So they're like, can you really extradite someone for a misdemeanor? And da 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 da. And he had friends in high places at this point. He had friends in the art community. Oh, it's just art. Why are you guys so upset? So in 2008, 30 years later, he finally issued an apology. In 2011, people were protesting about it. He actually got like a two, he got this big contract for the city of San Francisco. People were, pro, now it's more well-known in the art community. People were protesting it. But even then, the San, city of San Francisco just, he was signed up for two projects. They just canceled one of them. So people are still embracing Tom Otterness. Fascinating, really. And it's gross. And if you want any proof of like this weird Luciferian agenda, right? You have to wonder about people who support somebody who shot a dog on camera, who know that that happened, who shot a dog on camera and continue to give him tons of money for his art. You can talk all day long about all this other stuff, about these numerology theories and you found these codes and stuff like that. This this story, I'm surprised, isn't more well-known because this, this, to me, is grosser than anything Marina Abramovich did where she's writing, like, her spirit cooking handbook talking about, like, drinking semen and milk. Like, that's <laughs> just a weird fetish thing. This is... And I did, a, I did a segment on Marina Abramovich. I'll put that in the show notes. I thought that was pretty interesting, but she's never done this. And she's getting canceled from Microsoft ads. You want to talk about weirdo stuff where someone sacrifices a dog in the name of art and ends up becoming famous and wealthy and to this day even though it's out people are still running cover for him take a look at this story take a look at this story i randomly came across this story i was looking i go to this website every day it's one of my daily websites called crazy facts i've gotten a ton of stuff from there i got a ton of stuff from there and i just hit random fact random fact over and over and over again it gives me that little dopamine hit when i'm learning something new and this popped up. It was just random that I came across it. So creepy, creepy story. Sacrificing animals for success. Bulk squat thrust. Let's leave this grossness behind. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind San Francisco. We are headed out to a small town in the middle of America. <laughs> I found this story online. We don't have a location for it. That's why Bulk Squat Thrust is currently trying to find anywhere to land. We're running low on fuel. But I found this story. It's written by a user known as Syntax Variant. I'm not going to call him by his Tron name the rest of the segment. Let's call him Max. And if that's his real name, it's just a stab in the dark. And the first part of this is a dream. And I know I, I like the other 7 billion people on this planet... Hate when people talk about their dreams. I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's some sort of psychological thing going on. But nobody likes to hear about other people's dreams. But you know what I mean? Like when someone says, dude, check out this dream I have. You're automatically, you automatically shut off your brain. And you hope that they don't notice. It's super bizarre, isn't it? We don't like hearing about other people's dreams. And not only that, the most aggravating... I'm surprised it still even exists. The most aggravating ending to a movie... It was all a dream. I wonder if psychologists have ever looked into that. I wonder if someone's ever done a study. Why do people hate hearing about other people's dreams? Because it's not just me. Everyone, everyone hates it. So we're starting. As, as I set that up, let me tell you about this guy's dream. But it's interesting. And I'm not going to spend too much time in the dream world. Especially when he 
when Max describes it as a, quote, fleshy and eldritch place. And he says, I mean, not that, not that, I don't, not that I'm against fleshiness, but he starts off this thing, he goes, the dream was a mix between scorn and Hermanius Mora's plane. I had to look those up. Because I'm, not, I'm not native to the fleshing Eldrick plane. Scorn, I had a vague idea of, is a video game that took place in hell. Hermaeus Mora's plane, she's an Elder Scrolls character. Some sort of like goblin or dragon or waif or something like that. She's a bunch of ones and zeros in the form of a goddess, I'm assuming, because she has her own plane. He's dreaming he's in a video game-esque world, or, or uh, like an Eldrick place. Max is walking through this fleshy place. He's like, it reminds me of Toe Jam and Earl, stage two. He's walking through this fleshy place, and he sees something out of the corner of his eye. It was a tube of semi-fluidic goo, which is the best name for a band ever. Semi-fluidic goo kind of floating around. It was metallic black. I mean, this... You gotta, you gotta give this guy credit, at least. His dream is pretty kick-ass. A metallic black tube of semi-fluidic substance. And sometimes it's floating behind him. Sometimes it's crawling on the wall. We imagine it gets bored of floating. No one would ever get bored of floating, but this guy's like, ah, I'm gonna do the wall thing now. Crawling on the fleshy wall. Max turns around, and this is the part he tells him, yeah, I'm like a super intuitive guy. Like, I like to ask questions. When, I, when I'm in a fleshy and eldritch place, I wonder, whose flesh is this? Is this Pamela Anderson's flesh? He turns around, and he, because he's so inquisitive, he lets us know how inquisitive he is, he turns around, and he looks at the tube, and he goes, why are you following me? Like, he's not scared of it, right? He's wondering why this tube of goo is following him. The goo says it was visiting this place, too. Right, read all those brochures. Flesh Lover's Journal. He thought it was actually a porn magazine. Instead, it was a tourist guide for all these other dimensions. The Tube of Goo goes, I'm new around here, too. And actually, I'm surprised you're not afraid of me. Normally, when you humans see a tube of goo, you either run away from us or try to eat us. And that's when Max is like, no, you don't get it. I'm not like them other humans. I actually am super curious. I love to learn new information. And Tuba Goo goes, well, I'm new here, and you're new here. It's kind of interesting. Maybe we should hang out for a bit. He said that the Tube of Goo sounded like a woman in her 30s. Super specific. I don't think I could tell the difference between a woman, like a woman talking on the phone who's 27, and I'm like, hmm, this woman has to be at least 38, 39. But he, this guy can do it. This guy has a good ear. And so they're talking. They're like, come here, come to this realm often. And Max goes, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about the realm you're from? And the Tube of Goo says, it would be much easier. <laughs> Apparently it turns into the leprechaun when you ask it a question. It would be much easier if I showed you where I was from. How would you like to come to my realm? And Max goes, well, <laughs> nothing seems to be going on here. It's just it's just endless, endless walls of flesh. So yeah, I'm sure your place is an upgrade. So then the tub of goo teleports him. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. I know your eyes are glazed over. Your eyes are glazed over with black goo. You're like, stop telling the story. It's possessing me. 
the dream ends soon. <laughs> I'm not doing a whole segment on this dude's dream. <laughs> so hold on. Hold, have faith in me. If you listen to the show this long, you should have faith in me. The tube of goo teleports him to a world that Max can only describe as abstract. It's just like, I don't know, melting people and clocks falling off of branches and gravity is upside down. It just, it doesn't make sense. But there's also a castle. There's all, like, all this stuff, out of all this abstract stuff, there's like a fairy tale castle sitting there and the tube of goo goes, that's where I live, dude. And so they're like swirling around and he's leading Max through this adventure. I imagine like the landscape of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. The tube goes, listen, tell you what. I've shown you my place. How would you like to know even more about everything? And Max is like, why wouldn't you want to know? He's a curious cat, right? He wants to know everything. And the tube of goo goes, let me come inside you. <laughs> the tube of goo did not actually say that. That should be a warning sign if a tube of goo ever says that to you. A tube of goo says, let me come inside of you. And I will show you everything. I'll give you all these knowledge. I'll give you these special abilities. <laughs> if you ever wanted to climb along a wall, that's me. I do that. But I'm going to have to merge with you. And Max says, sure. And at that point, the tube of goo goes inside of his body. And then he begins to notice that the tube of goo is accessing his memories from the waking world. Like, he, he can feel this thing actually absorbing real-world information outside of the dream. And he starts to wake up. Like, his body's almost going into this motion where it's trying to get him out of this unconscious mess that he's gotten himself into. And he hears the tube of goo say, I need to merge with your subconscious. I need to find it. I need to find it quickly. Because if I merge with it, I'll stay alive. And Max wakes up. He's totally well-rested. He's like, oh, another calm dream for me, Max, the biggest weirdo in the world. <laughs> that dream doesn't even phase him. He's like, that's not even the craziest dream. What happens is this tuba goo goes in him. So the dream's over. He goes about his day. Everything's fine. And then he does what all humans do. He goes back to sleep and has another dream, wakes up, goes back to sleep, wakes up. You know the problem. <laughs> process of human biology but he starts to notice a pattern he'll be having a dream a totally unrelated dream not involving fleshy long hallways he's just sitting at school he's sitting at flesh high his school that he's going to and he'd be sitting at school and he'd see the tube of goo out of the corner of his eye he's like trying to cheat off it he's trying to cheat off it the tube of goo is just wearing its underwear it's like oh i'm so embarrassed then he wakes up it's like what that was weird Goes about his life, he has another dream. He's walking through a meadow, flying a kite. He looks out of the corner of his eye, there's a tube of goo. A tube of goo just sitting in the grass. He starts to see this tube of goo in other dreams. So at first he just starts seeing it in a few dreams, and now he's seeing it in dream after dream after dream. Tub of goo. Just floating around him. Now... He's starting to see it in real life. He's really at school. He's really at flesh high. And the tube of goo is sitting on the desk next to him. Max is reporting that he is seeing this thing in real life. Now he's out on a date. He meets a pretty young girl. Hey, baby, uh, you want to do a double date? <laughs> the girl's like, what? It's just the two of us. He's like, no. 
<laughs> so I'm motioning over to a floating tube of goo. Don't you have your own tube of goo? Let me tell you all about Elder Scrolls. <laughs> Let me tell you about Elder Scrolls. He'll start having dreams too. She runs away. He's seeing this tube of goo in real life. It's moved out of the dream into other dreams. Now he can see it all the time. He says that it's actually attached itself to his optical nerves. And it goes, don't worry. Now apparently it's Heath Ledger. Don't worry. Um, I can see out of your eyeballs, but uh, don't worry. I'm not going to possess you. Somebody stop me. Uh, he's doing all the impressions. So this thing is apparently able to do a full body possession, but it doesn't want to. He just wants to see what he sees and make itself visible to him. It has full access to all of his memories. And he says... He's actually talked to his therapist about this, which is interesting because <laughs> the therapist doesn't know to make heads or tails of it. According to him, this was the quote, quote, I've told my therapist about this and she couldn't give me a concrete answer, unquote. And then I like to imagine the quote continues and then I saw the tube of goose therapist and it said, everything's okay, everything's a-okay. The tube of goo therapist agrees the tube of goo should be in your eyeballs. To wrap all this up, there's another detail because, of course, there has to be another detail. He says that he feels like a father-daughter relationship with this thing. He's feminized it. It does sound like a monotone 30-year-old woman. And it's a, it is a tube of goo. And it he brought it into the world. So he feels like he's a father and it's a daughter. It's his child. And it has a feminine voice. It's a floating tube of goo. He's banged it. He admits that he's had sex with this thing or gotten sexual with it a couple times. I don't know how you have sex with a hallucination. I've never tried it. I've never tried it. I don't know. Like, if it's if it's looking out of your eyeball, I mean, you guys can both watch a sexy movie together, but it, it, and he's imagining it, like, floating around, and he's, like, walking around with a boner or something, and he's just, like, bumping into the wall? Or is he just, like, doing air? Is he doing bulk squat thrust in the air? Nice callback, right? Good thing you're the Patreon. And then then what? And then he just imagines the the tube of goo just being like, just get it over with, just get it over with, and then I'm just going to go to sleep. I don't understand how you have sex with a hallucination. At that point, it's kind of a tulpa. He does say that he's summoned tulpas before. But yeah, he's banging this thing that he admits he thinks of as a daughter. Because it sounds like a 30-year-old woman. I keep saying this guy is young. He might be 60 years old, so he assumes 30-year-old women are young enough to be his kids. Who knows? But the point is, the point, let's wrap this up. A man has a dream about a tube of flesh. It comes inside of him. All of a sudden, he can see it in other dreams. Now he can see it in the real world. So, of course, he starts banging it and calls it his daughter. He's seeing a therapist as well. So that's good. Out of all the stuff that's working, you, I, I'm never anti-therapy. I'm never, And I'm not joking about that. That You should go see a therapist if you need to see one. And if you're having lie, what do they call it, open-eye hallucinations, it's probably a good idea to see a therapist. But... Let's put on our conspiracy cap here to wrap this up. This kid, obviously, if we're looking in the world of the paranormal and it's not some sort of mental issue, this guy went to another realm in his subconscious and invoked something. 
And that's really the big thing they always talk about when you're talking about demons, when you're talking about paranormal activity. You never want to invite it in. That's exactly what it did. It asked for permission. He invited it into his body and brought it into the real world. And now he's... I mean, you could say paying the consequence for it. He is having sex regularly with a floating tube of goo. Again, it's very gross that he thinks of it as his child. If it just don't think, don't I mean? I can't even unbox that. The point is, is that let's get back to the paranormal thing because that's less distressing to me. The point is, is that he had this dream and he saw this tube of goo and it flew inside of him and now it has the option of possessing him and it's choosing not to. It appeared in this very demonic way, this very fleshy, eldritch realm, and it looks monstrous and it's floating around. And maybe that's what he's into. Maybe he does subscribe to that Flesh World magazine. He's into banging tubes of goo. But wouldn't it make more sense, and this is where the creepiness comes into, that if something wanted to get to you, it doesn't appear in your dreams as some mid-boss from a video game, but it appears as a loved one. Someone you've always wanted to have by your side, but you've never been able to get them. Someone who you cherish. They appear to you in a dream. You're so glad to be with them. You're so glad to feel that warmth, that love. In a totally normal location, not covered in goo. It's a sunny day and you're with someone you really care about. And you're holding their hand. You're walking with them. And they turn to you and they go, I love the time we're spending together. But you're going to wake up soon. Just hold my hand. Don't let go. Will you do that? Will you hold on to me until your eyes open and you're awake again? And of course you will. You love them. You realize that this is a dream and in the real world you don't have this relationship with them. So you hold them close. You hold them tight. You hold them until you wake up alone in your bed holding nothing but the memory of being next to them. But that was simply a disguise for something dark and cold, crafted by eternal loneliness and despair. Not all possessions start with a demon crawling out of the darkness or a Ouija board event at 3 a.m., what if the most successful demonic possessions are the ones you don't even know happened? So when you begin seeing a shadowy figure standing next to you at the supermarket, or a glimmer of a shape in your rearview mirror as you're driving down the highway, or right before you shut off your light when you go to bed, you see movement in the farthest corner of your room, you think it's just a trick of the light. Your eyes are tired. You are just imagining something. But no. You are seeing the physical representation of something you invited into your body. It disguised itself as a loved one. But instead, it will soon become your greatest enemy. 
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.